Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I am not your host, Peter Thomas Fortitel, but uh, and I'm not from in the Brooklyn bunker. I'm at the Planet Texas. Uh, I am typically the co-host on this show, but I just sit back and try to be quiet. Let Pete do all the uh, the question asking and let all of the the experts that we have on talk about their field and, and hopefully provide something uh, instructional for for all the listeners. But I do have our other co-host here today. And that is Windstar Farm, Sean Tugel. Sean, what's going on? JK, uh, well, sitting here watching torrential downpours once again in the uh, Lexington area. Certainly the fields and the grass is growing, producing all these excellent racehorses here, but everyone's golf game seems to be suffering here in Lexington currently with all the rain. But uh, pretty, pretty excited to do another show. I think we've got a good lineup today. And uh, certainly uh, not having Pete here, is, we've got big shoes to fill, but I think we're capable of it. And uh, looking at some photos he posted from uh, Italy yesterday, uh, I think he's having a pretty good time over, over overseas. Of course he is. Of course he is. Let's see, the, the tricky part is when you get Pete overseas is to try to keep him away from a racetrack. So let's see if he can sneak his way into some uh, – some Italian uh, racetrack and, and, and uh, see if he can't uh, place a wager or not. But the show's going to be fun today. We're going to, we're going to do uh, the, the run of the show is, is going to be a little bit different. We've had a lot of guests. We're going to have two guests today. Uh, we're going to have Price Bell from Mill Ridge. who's going to talk a little bit about their operation, talk a little bit about Oscar performance, talk a little bit about horse country and, and some of the things they have going on there. And then Sean and I are going to, talk a little bit about this freshman sire list. Um, some of the ones that are showing up that are already having runners based on their yielding prices, so on and so forth. I will give my perspective and ask questions as a handicapper from what I remember of these horses when they were on the racetrack. Sean will give his side of the industry perspective about those freshman sires. And then we're going to hop with uh, Gary Fitton, a contest player that I know. He actually plays in a lot of these contests that I play in. He's also a, uh, involved with Little Red Feather and the TOC. So we'll talk to him a little bit about California racing. Uh, we won't, the state of California racing, we won't go uh, into too many details of the negativity, but more of the positive things that, that we can do and that we're doing moving forward um, to try to handle that unfortunate situation. And then talk a little bit about Little Red Feather. They had a big win this weekend as well. And so that should be a, a fun show where we can um, kind of cover all aspects of, 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 of this game. Sean, what uh, what do you been what do you have going on? You got you guys got any runners this weekend? Runners last weekend? I'm I'm trying to rack my brain and, and uh, see what was going on for the old uh, green and white. Well, uh, we only had one significant runner last weekend. That was in Ohio. We actually uh, have quite a Ohio bred program going with Tim Ham, Blazing Meadows, and we've even expanded into the Stallion um, standing in Ohio as well. We have National Flag up there who was staying in Ohio for the first year this year. Uh, Diamond Dust, um, if you haven't watched the replay, he was champion two-year-old in Ohio last year, made the lead, and uh, did his best maximum security impersonation and jumped about four rails, but, but uh, lost, lost the rider. It was, uh, uh, luckily, everybody, everything went, was fine other than um, a head-scratching moment. But uh, as far as racing, we're, we're a little on the quiet side of things right now. Um, we, uh, we're not going to have a runner in the Belmont, um, be a little bit different experience than it was last year, but, uh, that, that weekend looks like it's going to be shaping up. I am super excited for the, for the Met Mile coming up. I think that is going to be an absolute showdown of some of the best older horses we've uh, been able to see run in the past couple of years. So, uh, I think we're going to be innocent bystanders for the remainder of the Triple Crown season. But I do think uh, we have some exciting horses on the back half of the year. Obviously, Improbable will come back and uh, see if he can tackle some of those big three-year-old races in the back half. And, and pretty excited for uh, Global Campaign, who we own in partnership with Sagamore, who uh, just won the uh, Peter Pan Stakes and, and very good time, 101 buyer. Um, <clears throat> he's going to be getting back to the uh, work pad here soon, and, and uh, hopefully he's uh, poised for an, for an unbelievable uh, back half of his three-year-old campaign, and he's by Curlin, and he's a half to both the row, and so the pedigree's there, and I can't think of a hotter stallion than Curlin right now, so uh, it's good to have one of his top horses in training currently. 
Now, I would imagine that you guys, as a big operation, obviously have a lot of horses that are that are actually running that you own. But do you watch the 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 offspring of of your stallions pretty closely? And 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 when they win, is it kind of like a nice little? Do you feel a little ownership in that victory, or or, or did you kind of keep both of those a little bit separate, or, or are they kind of all the same? Well, it it all intertwines into the overall. Uh, model and certainly standing 22 stallions um, we closely follow all the progeny I and mean, we start picking them up as soon as they start hitting the ground with the first crop of, of freshman horses and, and certainly this year we have four horses with first two-year-olds that we're extremely excited about both Constitution and Carpe Diem have already had winners uh, Nayabeth who's by Carpe Diem continues to work extremely well she's pointing for Royal Ascot that's very exciting for a freshman horse to have. We've got four horses with first yearlings that we're very excited about. Uh, one being that, that really stands out to me is, is a horse called Exaggerator, who his yearlings are just really starting to uh, separate themselves uh, physically against many of the other horses that, that we're seeing on, on farms. Um, so, so, you know, we follow extremely closely all the, all the progeny um, through the sales and through the races. And, uh, you know, all these horses need to, you know, their, their job is to produce high level race horses. And, uh, you know, we want to be out there for our shareholders. We want to be out there in front of, in front of it and, and let them know where the good ones are and, and, uh, who are the ones to keep their eyes on. So, uh, no, it's, it's a constant, uh, day in, day out of, of knowing what's going on with, with all the project of the stallions. Before we jump to Price Bell, I, there is a, I do have a question for you. This is a, and this is kind of what I was excited about having the show and doing the show is is if we were hanging out at a an establishment where they were serving adult beverages and we were sitting next to each other, I would ask you this question. And it's fun to to ask you the question on air where people can listen to it now. Uh, you mentioned the Met Mile. Now, um, one of my favorite races for obvious reasons as a as a horse player and a handicapper, you get to see these kind of crosses of divisions. You get sprinters stretching out. You get uh, triple crown horses at some point cutting back and classic distance horses cutting back uh, of the horses that we're expected to see in this year's Met mile. I'm curious if all of them or some of them, and this, I'm putting you on the spot here. If they won the race would have a resume or if that would be enough to, to have them be a stallion. I know a lot of them probably already are, but I'm going to just kind of run down this list. And if you can kind of you know, maybe in a sentence or two, let me know what you think about uh, some of them are already probably stallions, but Thunder Snow, if you were to win the Met Mile, would that help him as a stallion or is he going to be a stallion no matter what? Well, I think the thing with Thunder Snow and, and not obviously not being the owner of that horse, I think he's a very interesting stallion prospect. But the question with him is where does he stand? Does he stand in America or does he stand over in Europe? You know, he was a grade one winning two year old, grade one winning three year old. Uh, he's won the Dubai World Cup twice. Uh, he's had some very good races here on the dirt, both in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, I thought his Jack Club Gold Cup was was very good. Um, so he's a horse that uh, he, you know he's 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 not bred here in America, but he does have quite a bit of dirt form. Um, he's a very interesting one. I think if he wins the wet, Met Mile in front of American breeders, I mean he's a horse that that could stamp himself as a, as a as a American prospect. But I think the biggest question with him is is where he would stand. All right. How about McKenzie? Obviously, he's got the Grade One Malibu under his belt already. Um, he's he's run well in two turn races that are longer. Would this be enough to to get him a stallion career if he were to pull this off, or is he kind of already going in that direction? Oh, he by far has uh, a stallion career in his future. Um, you know, I think he's a horse that uh, certainly both pedigree wise and race record wise is uh, is you'd have to circle as one of the top prospects who will retire next year. Um, you know, grade one winning two year old, grade one winning three year old and uh, and certainly has had some marquee performances I, and he had some speed figures. So, you know, I think he's you know, I, I still am a big believer that last year's three year old crop uh, was one of the best three year old crops that we've seen in a long time. And, uh, and obviously the benchmark for that crop was a triple crown winner. And, uh, he's arguably, you know, that's what I love about this race is it's a, it's, it's just a showdown for, for those horses like Matoli, McKenzie, um, for in fire horses are coming out of last year's crop that, that could stamp themselves, uh, you know, after justify who was the best horse in that crop. And, and certainly, uh, McKenzie 
is has the resume to uh, to try to make himself that horse. So Matoli is a, is a son of Escandarea. Um, most of his damage has been done, obviously sprinting, and we've seen stallions be made uh, from from pure sprinters. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that he probably has the most to gain in terms of a stallion career by pulling off a win in the Met Mile? Yeah, I mean he's one that we're going to be rooting for because we we bought the mare last year. She just fold a fold an into mischief. Um, you know, Matoli. You know, Escandrea's already had a Met Mile winner in More Spirit, and uh, you know, Matoli. Yes, he he was a sprinter uh, when he reeled off six in a row. He, I think, he answered a huge question stretching out the seven furlongs in the last race. He sat kind of stalking a little bit, which was was a new dimension for him. Uh, I think he, you know, if you're looking at, at horses with stallion resumes, um, he is definitely one of those horses that if he can, if he can back up his Churchill Downs handicap with um, a Met Mile, he definitely would, uh, would probably put, put himself in the forefront as one of those horses that, that uh, stallion farms in Kentucky may want to go after. No, I think this is probably the trickiest one. What do you do with a horse like Forenze Fire, who's by a... I mean, I can't tell you another horse that's by Poseidon's Warrior, So, but I'm also not in the business of, of doing that. I'm in the business of betting on him. I can't think of one. Mm-hmm. Well, it, does, does a win in this race, does he become a stallion now, or is his pedigree a little bit too, uh, I don't say, like maybe not flashy enough to be one? What was a horse like Forenze Fire if he wins this race? You know, he's one of those horses that, uh, that has the talent. Um, I think he can go – throughout history of, of other stallions um, that kind of, you know, may have been slightly off the radar pedigree wise, but when, after they produce two or three crops out there and, and, and they have some runners, you look up and say, you know what, that that's all based. He, he's passing on the talent. Um, for me, for some of these horses, especially like a Poseidon's warrior is a grade one winner by Spitestown. And he stood down in Florida. He's standing his first year here in Kentucky. So he's getting a chance here. Um, you know, so, so I wouldn't be too hard, but, but the, the mating itself is a very good mating. Um, you know, Spitestown is, is an excellent sire sires. He's got four sons to have produced um, grade one winners so far. We, we stand Spitester, who has his first yearlings this year, who was quite arguably one of his best bred sons to go to stud. He didn't get to completely fulfill his, his racing career the way we thought he could. He, he had a training accident uh, in between his three and four year old year. But um, you know, this horse, he, he, he's a spice town out of a Dandig mare and sons of spice town have had extreme success with uh, Danzig line mares. And that's exactly what we have here with uh, Farine's fire being by Poseidon's warrior spice town out of a Langshire mare who's Danzig. So it's the same cross as Spitzer. Uh, now it doesn't have the depth and pedigree, but uh, you know when you when you have a good mating like that and it comes together, and this horse obviously has unbelievable talent, and he was a Grade One winner at two, um, and he's trained on, and, and uh, so he's a horse that you know if he if he if he shows that he he can beat these horses in the Met Mile, then you know you're going to have to give him the credit where the credit's due. All right. I've got like a million different questions, but from, for time purposes, I, I want to one day soon, maybe next week, we'll go down the, uh, the, the path of, of this nicking, right? This nicking question about these mating pairs and grades, and we'll save that for another conversation. Uh, but I do want to get uh, our buddy Price Bell on here to talk a little bit about Mill Ridge Farm, and we'll go to that now. So our first guest today is, is, is kind of a funny one because – I think Pete is going to be a little bit upset that the first time we had one of his friends and our friends, Price Bell, on the show, it's going to be without him. Price Bell, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Just enjoying a little rainy uh, spring summer day here in Lexington. Look, I, I, I hate to, to, to do this to you and make you be, uh, to be braggadocious here, but tell us a little bit about Mill Ridge, some of the accomplishments you guys have had. It's an unbelievable resume. I think we've got some arcs, some derbies, some oaks, some Breeders' Cups. Let us know a little bit about uh, Mill Ridge for those that aren't familiar. Sure. Uh, thank you for, for that. Uh, it doesn't feel like bragging because I've had very little to do with uh, its success. So most of the success was really driven by my grandmother and my, my father. Uh, my grandmother started the farm in 62, uh, 1962 on land that her 
father uh, had left her, he actually had a heart attack and died at Keeneland um, in Barn 32 training horses one morning. And uh, so with that, she had, was left 280 acres and four mares. One of those mares uh, named Attica produced Sir Ivor. Uh, Sir Ivor was a foal of 65, uh, won the English Derby, Epsom Derby in 1968, and was the first American bred sold at auction to win the Epsom Derby, which is a big deal because trained by Vincent O'Brien and uh, that, that inspired Vincent and John Magner that it was fertile grounds here in Kentucky to shop for uh, yearling uh, athletes to win the best races in the world. And it led really to the uh, big kind of rise in the commercialization of the American bread product. Um, so that was the 60s, um, 60s and into the 70s. But uh, uh, keeping it simple, since 2000, we've had the privilege to raise or sell 34 grade one winners, um, 31 of those coming off the farm from Jamo, Sweet Catamine, Point Given, Spain, to most recently Oscar Performance. Um, who also retired to stud this year. So that's a, a quick and dirty, but most of that is really my grandmother and the team that she built and, uh, and my father. So I'm just proud to be able to share their stories and hope to add to the, to the, uh, to the story going forward. Hey, Price, it's Sean. Um, thanks for coming on. And, uh, and although Pete couldn't be on with us today, we are giving him something to listen to while he is out in Italy enjoying his time there. Um, <laughs> you know, it. one of the things, you know, I did when I, when I first came to Kentucky and, and I think a lot of people share these kind of stories is when they would just hop in the car and kind of drive around the roads and kind of like look over the fences and, and kind of wonder what's out there. Uh, Mill Ridge is one of those special places with, with the history and the landscape uh, you know, something I think a lot of us here in Kentucky, uh, you know, we're always kind of worried about about losing farmland. And I know that you and your family are, are quite involved in the uh, city planning there at Lexington and, and knowing what's going on. Um, do you feel like uh, Lexington is 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 open to to maintaining that uh, those these special places, you know, here not only in Lexington but in the surrounding communities? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question and one very uh, pertinent. So um, the Lexington is one of the first places uh, in the country to establish something called an urban service boundary, which basically said that city services would be inside this boundary. And then on the outside of that was agriculture land. And it was done so really for the tobacco and cattle industries and thoroughbreds in the 1950s were still slightly ancillary uh, and certainly not a big market. So in the 1950s, that's when they established the urban service boundary. The original one was actually New Circle Road, um, which uh, is a very funny name, uh, as Duncan Taylor will often say, because there's nothing new about New Circle Road, yet we still call it New Circle Road. But if you've been to Lexington on the Circle Four, that's, uh, that's its history. Um, and I think that through time, you know, the ultimately what led to the founding of the Kentucky Horse Park, because during that time, you could drive and picnic on people's farms. Like, there were no closed gates. Uh, uh, throughout the 50s and 60s, and people would, you know, drive up to Calumet, drive up to Spindrift, have a picnic, you know, take off, uh, and that was that. And they would, uh, in, in time, inevitably leave garbage. I think a barn burned down unexpectedly, and so it inspired the founding of the Kentucky Horse Park, um, which is a great facility. And it was thought that by having the Kentucky Horse Park, that that pre-created kind of the guest experiences, and now the farms didn't need to necessarily share their stories. That it was a one place to be. Uh, one place to point people. And that was certainly like my grandmother's kind of generation and uh, and fight or kind of stance, if you will. And I think in time, uh, we've recognized that really guests and really people, not just guests, but really people who love horses want to meet uh, uh, the mothers, want to hear the stories about how how horses were when they were young and, and really get out and see the what it takes to get a horse to the track. Uh, I often will describe that uh, that uh, I have a friend who is a, an Olympic rower um, for the Canadian national team, and he would. Uh, we were at the races one day, and he he says that you know he tells me about training for the Olympics, and a year out from the trials, they would do these long uh, aerobic rows and then kind of taper down and shorten down, uh, and then until about a week before the uh, the trials, then they wouldn't do anything, and they would lock themselves in the the hotel, and they weren't allowed to exercise. 
And it was the only time in the whole year that they would actually come to physical bouts because they had all this energy that they had been building and storing. And then they were going to peak at the, at the trials. And it was the only time that they, you know, had uh, came to blows with each other. And I feel like that's how, you know, horses go to the, the paddock, you know, like when we're at, when you watch a horse in the paddock, they're at that peak condition. And I personally don't have anything in common with them. I've never been an Olympic athlete. I've never been uh, that in shape. And yet, um, that became the entry, if you will, into the, to seeing, um, to connecting with horses, which is an amazing connection with them in that kind of aspirational way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and then it, for us on the farm in opening our gates and finding a way to share it better through horse country and through, uh, other methods, we are allowed, we show the stories and show the stories of the horses at more relatable times, right? Like, when a foal is first born, it's right on its mother's side. And then after a month, it starts to get a little independent and it's engaging with other foals. And then by, you know, the fifth month, like it hardly has anything to do with its mother and is much more interested in its social environment. Well, that's just like your own children or even you yourself when you're going through middle school and you started checking other things out and your parents were no longer, you know, you're all encompassing and you started exploring. And, and I think that sharing the horses with people on the farms is so much more um, real and relatable than necessarily um, just in the paddock. And I think that the Kentucky Horse Park, while it's an amazing facility, it's, it was never built uh, to have, you know, to be able to share actual horses that were going to be running. And so I think that in uh, establishing kind of horse country and like recognizing that need um, has allowed us to kind of share that story and, and let people on the other side of the fence. Yeah, and 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 that's to to expand upon. You're on the board there of, of Horse Country, which Windstar is is one of the farms that participate. Obviously, Millridge participates. Uh, was on your website here earlier and looked, and and really, I mean, what an exceptional group of, of participants. Also, fantastic that you can go not only onto the farms, you can go on to uh, Hallway Feed, et cetera, Root and Riddle Equine. Uh, you know, yeah. really, After you can get out there. You can see every stage. Yep. All the aftercare. Right, exactly. Um, so, what has it been? Three, four years now that horse country's kind of really kind of come together, and 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 has have you found it? Um, you know, are, do you see tourism increasing on here? Uh, how how has it gone so far with horse country and and its expansion? No, look, where do you see it going? You know, I think it's been great, uh, but I also think we're still just getting started, right? Like, uh, we've had over 100,000 guests through the various farm locations, um, and, uh, and, and we're just starting to kind of get into um, really being an asset that the community can utilize. Um, we've started, uh, like, hosting corporate development types, so people are thinking about opening businesses in Lexington. Well, you're going to give them a Lexington experience. You're going to come in, and you're going to you know, go on a farm tour, go to on a bourbon distillery tour, you know, maybe go to the races and, and then you're leaving like, wow, what a special place. And, and so it's allowing us to utilize the, um, this industry as an asset to bring more business into the, into the community, which then raises other boats, um, which is important. Prior to horse country, it was, it was difficult to do that. And, um, but since horse country, it's, we're allowing kind of a one-stop shop to be, uh, uh, to allow others to use us and hopefully grow their businesses. So then they become more advocates for it and hopefully, you know, participate themselves, you know, with the rise of syndicates and making it easier. Like we're all trying to, 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 uh, to help people fall in love with this incredible sport that we are (laughs) obsessed with crazy for, uh, generally crazy, however you want to describe it. But, uh, but I do think what we have is so special. And when we share it with people, they can't, they want more, they want to come back. Um, that's certainly at the, on the land, but also, you know, when we go to the races with people, you know, we've, I've had the pleasure of sitting around, uh, you know, the paddock bar and watching the group expand through the years. Um, and it's people that, you know, love horses and love horse racing. And it's, uh, and when, especially when they experience with people like, like ourselves who know something like it's, uh, it's contagious. Price, uh, you had mentioned Oscar performance and then you guys getting back in the stallion game with, with Oscar performance. And, and I was looking back to his PPs and realizing just how talented he was and how impressive uh, his wins were and being that forward type on the grass. I've always thought that if I were to, to jump head first into the ownership game, I would want to find tactical speed horses 
that can run on the grass and I would just go to New York and win all the races. Um, <laughs> Oscar performance. I was shocked that Oscar performance was favored in the Breeders' Cup uh, mile last year. However, yeah. I was against him on the day because I knew the inside was bad. So I just right. wanted to tell you, if someone asks you why you ran so poorly in that race, you tell them the inside was a bog. He missed the break. He <laughs> right. had absolutely no shot. You can uh, you can even quote me and put it in the uh, in the commercial if you want to. Tell us a little bit about Oscar performance yeah, and what you expect from him uh, in the years to come. You know, I, I think uh, I think you're exactly right. And also, he did not like it soft. If you go back through the PPs, if it had any given the ground, he was he was uh, he did not like it. Uh, but when it was hard and it was fast, he was brilliant. You know, he equaled the world record at a mile. Uh, at Belmont, and you know, I, I know you're. I know we all know last uh, last spring was fast on the Belmont turf, but elusive quality elusive quality's track record had held for 15 years, so it was a serious performance. Um, you know, I think to your point, just hopeful that uh, that the tactical speed he is fast, he could run people off their feet, and he could kind of keep he could hold his speed. We hope that that uh, is a trait uh, that he. Passes along, you know, Ken's Joy is probably the most prolific turf sire uh, in America of our generation. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, Oscar can, you know, keep that, that line going. And uh, I think physically he's a different type. Um, and what's been very rewarding is when breeders come and see him that they, they like, they like his ability on the racetrack. They like him physically and his pedigree being inbred to special gives a lot of different kinds of lines that he can, uh, you know, amplify. It's been a it's been a good cross in Europe, and so getting more of this blue hen mare special in pedigrees has been a very uh, a good thing. And he provides two strains of it, um, being inbred. I think he's four by five to to that uh, that special mare. It's it's all pretty much foreign talk to me. But while we have you here, what, what, what are the uh, what are the uh, the, descript the, the the descriptive points when when people talk about Oscar performance he's got you know I don't know the heck you know big neck hip long legs <laughs> pasterns all that stuff that means I, I would struggle to point them out I think and get most of them but what, what are people right. saying about Oscar performance and how he looks and, and what kind of horses they're predicting that that he's going to throw well I think on his he's a big physical turf horse um you know in in turf racing you you get You'll get uh, a type that can go over a soft ground, goes a mile and a half, which you rarely, you know, see in in dirt racing. Um, and uh, and he's not really that way. He's more of a physical, uh, big muscled horse. Uh, he has a pretty straight hind leg, and he really, you know, reminds people a lot of. Uh, it was interesting, like an an older generation of Irish, I'd say. Um, you know, the Mike Ryan, Ryan's, the Spiders, the Pat Costlos. I say older in a complimentary fashion. Um, they were really taken by how much they he reminds them of Northern Dancer, um, and just kind of that type and his richness. So that's a that's a connection I can't make. I didn't. I've never saw or uh, physically saw Northern Dancer, so I don't know what exactly that means. But that was something that kind of consistently in uh, people were were uh, referring to, which is great. That would be incredible, right? <laughs> what is it? Did, it? did I did I read this right? That then uh, every horse in the Epsom Derby is either a son, grandson, or great-grandson of Galileo? Isn't is that, wow. Did I read that headline right? I hadn't seen I mean, that headline yet, but, but I could believe it. It is yeah. really, it is really incredible, and that's like, and that's the, that's the dream, right? Um, to have that type of an impact, right? Like, that's what we're all chasing. Uh, in the breeding side is trying to find that line that works um, uh, or find those, those horses or those crosses. And, you know, we have four years to play it out, right? Cause you're, you make the decision to breed, you're pregnant for a year, you're a bit full for a year, you're a yearling for a year, you hit the track four years after you made this breeding decision. Um, and yeah, you have a little feedback in between. What are the weanlings look like? What are the yearlings look like? But it's not until they go in the gate that you really know. Um, and I know that, you know, you're, you're it's the same in wagering right like developing a database of trip notes and making these various decisions like breeders are breeders attack their puzzle from a, a similar kind of mindset if that makes sense love it price and 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 i do wish you good luck there with oscar performance he's, he's a very exciting uh horse to be putting into the uh gene pool here now i'm not gonna let you go without uh letting us know um a 
is the Oscar performance uh, Sunday deal still available for, for listeners at Chef Wida's? And who makes the better Oscar performance dessert, your father or Chef Wida? You know, uh, Chef Wida, hands down. <laughs> and it is still available. And, uh, you know, Wida actually said that her sales uh, week over week during the meet were significantly better from this year to last year. And she said that people order the Oscar performance all the time, uh, which was awesome to hear that uh, that uh, the people in the industry were supporting the restaurant, but also that uh, there was having this cross pollination effect. Um, but it was funny when dad, uh, dad went to pitch Wida on making this dessert and calling it the Oscar performance's favorite <laughs> dessert. He's like, so I, I get this brownie and I put it in a bowl and I put it in the microwave for 45 seconds. And then I put ice cream on the brownie and it's just the best. And she says, well, that sounds, Wida says, that sounds great, but we don't have a microwave. And the look on dad's <laughs> face of disbelief that this restaurant doesn't have a microwave <laughs> was just classic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Price, we so, uh, we appreciate you, you joining us. We appreciate you making Pete extremely jealous. He, I don't even think he knows you were going to be on when he finds out. He's going to be very upset that he missed I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and please uh, please come see us. Uh, please come see us, J.K. Sean, I know you've been out here, but uh, would love to would love to have you and any of your listeners out. We uh, we love sharing the farm and and really find it's uh it's the great connection of why we all get up every day and do what we do. So that's awesome, Price. We'll we'll uh we'll definitely cash that in. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. All right, Sean. That was fun to have Price Bell. I, I think I've made a pretty good push to get into the Oscar performance commercial with my excuse for why he ran so poorly in the uh, Breeders' Cup. What do you think? You know, I I agreed with everything you said. Um I could I could see it there. I could see you in the TDN tomorrow. <laughs> yeah it's funny i actually have another question i'm gonna just jump to this question really quick i because I, I don't want to forget it sean do you think if you stood maximum security at your farm would your commercial say the horse that crossed the wire first in the kentucky derby would you say that in the commercial or would you just stay away from it i i'm gonna plead the fifth on that uh question until okay, until all until all uh and uh, until everything has been decided in the courts I like it. All right. All right. You, you guys must have, you must be involved. You must, you guys must have lawyered up too. It doesn't make any sense. All right. We, uh, we're going to go with our next guest here. Uh, I became familiar with this gentleman in contest. I saw his name on, on leaderboard. So he's one of those guys that, that uh, has a couple of clubs in his bag. And that is Gary Fenton, the managing partner of little red feather out on the West coast. Gary, how are you today? Great. Great guys. Uh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I wanted to, I was looking through the, the horses that you guys have had over time. Obviously the, uh, the silks are, are, are ones that anyone who's playing California racing and even some New York racing have to become familiar with. And it reminded me of one of my favorite horses of all time. It's actually a good topic. I talked about uh, speed horses on the grass and I think there's probably no better poster child for speed horses on the grass than midnight storm. Uh, what's some of your favorite uh, highlights from the little red feather uh, contingent? Well, John, before we get to that, I, I just want to say that being a contest player and seeing your name um, always in front of me uh, is something that really gives me a lot of angst and keeps me up at night. And uh, I try to get better and better and better to see uh, me one day uh, beat you at one of these contests. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, Midnight Storm is probably my, my, my favorite horse. Uh, obviously, we owe everything to Singletary. Little Red Feather was born because of Singletary and, and the great moments we had with him. Um, and I had just sort of started out uh, in the business at that point. Uh, and we sort of grew and grew and grew. And I think Midnight Storm really put us back on the map as a legitimate horse owner and, and managing uh, a partner of racehorses out here in California. He, he was a, just a tremendous horse on the turf. Uh, and then we made the strategic call to put him on the dirt. We knew he had the dirt breeding in his background. Uh, we knew he could compete on it, and we wanted to make a stallion. The only way to do that was to put him, try him on the on the dirt, and we were successful doing that. And and because of those moves, and because of where we were at the time, he he's my all-time favorite horse. 
Now, obviously, I mentioned that you guys are, are part of a, you know, Little Red Feather's a syndicate out on the West Coast, but also in, you know, in other parts of the country as well. I read something recently that you guys released that just kind of explained uh, why there is uh, these syndicates have to have a bit of a markup. And it was the best explanation that I had ever seen when seeing it, right? Because obviously it's tricky, you know, a horse gets bought for 200000 but then is being sold to partners at 300000 or whatever the math might be. But there's a reason for that. There's obviously, uh, you know, the managing, the, the, the ability to get in at a, at a small price. I don't want to ruin all the points, uh, but elaborate on that a little bit. I think there's something to be said about that. Well, when you go into a partnership, you're, you're spreading your risk, right? You're not putting up 100% of the purchase price. You're not putting 100% of the expenses. You're sharing the risk with others. And you can do that in, in very many ways these days. You can do it with friends. Um, you could do it online, um, or you could, you could hire a, a, a syndicate like West Point Eclipse or Little Red Feather. Uh, and like anything that you buy, there's, there's a value add to it. Uh, and you pay a little bit of a markup up front, and depending on the program, you probably pay a little bit either in purses or in a monthly management fee or on the back end if the horse gets sold uh, for a profit or, 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 or just sold in general. Um, and like anything else, you're, you're, you better get something for that fee. And when my, my partner, Billy Koch, and I sat down in 2004 after Singletary won the Breeders' Cup and, and wanted to try to make a business out of it, uh, we came up with a model that's still in place today. And that model is if we can't return a consistent ROI on these horses, what, what can we return? If it's not money, can we return it in an experience? And that's, that's the little red feather, and, and that's our ROI, and that's the value add that we bring to our partners and, and, and why they pay a markup. Uh, and they pay a markup because they get workout videos in the morning after their horse freezes. Uh, they get to be treated uh, like, a, like an owner, like they own 100%. They get box seats at the races. They get tickets to the Breeders' Cup or the Kentucky Derby. They, they get brought into a communal experience, almost like a country club, where the country club adds uh, value uh, and and why people want to join in. Certainly, um, you know, Gary, we we've known each other for a couple of years now, and 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 I do know that at, at any of the big race days, when Little Red Feather is, is there and they have a runner, whether uh, you know, I can go back to the Delmar Breeders Cup and and going out on the porch there with you guys, and and you guys were all playing in the in the in the Breeders Cup contest there. And you truly do guys have a good time. Uh, nobody's met your, your partner, Billy Coke. What a guy that guy is. I love that you refer to him as Summer Billy when he's at, when he's at Del Mar. I think that's fantastic. Uh, so definitely the experience is uh, you, you guys perform unbelievable there. Um, you know, obviously since Singletary, which was my first memory of, of Little Red Feather and the success you've had since then, you've uh you've kind of branched out into other areas of the industry um i saw yesterday you tweeted out a prep read of one of your two-year-olds you're selling in the two-year-old sale coming up the phagic tipton um why don't you expand upon that i know you had instilled regard as one of your top pin hooks and and just kind of talk about uh you know your expansion to the two-year-old market and uh you know what what your hopes are for the two-year-old sale that's going to be out of santa anita Pen hooking is, is something very, very personal to me. I, I started following it years and years, years ago, and then studied it maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and after many years of that, I wanted to dip my toe into it. And so I approached a couple of partners about doing a pin hook operation, and they loved it and supported it. And we went out and raised about $600,000 uh, and had our first pin hooking venture about four years ago. And it's really just created another experience for our partners out there instead of racing it's being part of the the breeding end of things uh and it and it's really increased their education and i think love uh for our industry uh, and we started about four years ago and uh we sold a, a broken vow uh horse for 1.2 million dollars and everybody did okay in year one and then we came back in year two we raised a little bit more money i think it was like a million dollars and and we sold uh in still regard um, to OXO and uh, for a million dollars, and uh, the partners did okay there. Then even better, uh, and still regard put us on the map as somebody who who doesn't just sell horses for a million dollars, but sells quality horses for that kind of money. And when he went out and won the the Grade Three of a comp, it really just it stamped our nascent operation as 
as as someone who can who can like I said sell quality horses. Uh, and here we are in our fourth yearling to two-year-old pinhook. Uh, we do a lot of different pinhooks now. We do a weanling to yearling pinhook. We do a stallion chairs pinhook. We do a broodmare pinhook. We want to bring our partners on the other side of the of the industry uh, in every facet that they can invest in. And, and like I said, they, they have a great experience doing it. It's a great education for them. Uh, and here we are in our fourth year, and, and we have a couple of horses out here at Santa Anita that we're selling in the first ever Fazic Tipton sale. Um, we have three really nice, well-bred red horses. Uh, the one that I tweeted out yesterday, uh, Taperture Colt, uh, really breeze, breeze super. Um, I, we had video of it, so our, our consigner and our, and our bloodstock agent who, who helps us out and, and really is the, the driving force of, 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 of our Penhark operation, Tom McCrockman. He doesn't like to time any of these practice breezes, but uh, we had video of it. And so I, I you know, took, timed it myself. And uh, I couldn't believe the time. He went sub 10. I had to time it three different times to make sure I got my timing right. And then I called Tom and I said, Tom, do you, I, I timed it. And he said, no, you didn't. I said, I did. I said, but you don't like to, to know times and stuff like that. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to tell me what it is. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and we were pretty, pretty impressed with it. I actually sent the video to Bob Baffert. And, uh, and his response was, they don't pay you for practice reasons. And I said, well, well hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully he'll show up next week for us. But uh, he's a super always, nice always a salesman. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we got we got two others. We got a really nice Ghost Zapper filly, um, and uh, and a nice Verrazano filly who's a half to Giuseppe the Great. So uh, we're pretty excited to be out here at the at the first ever Peasant Tip and Sale. California is our our home state, uh, and so we want to not only support the sale, but we 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 figured it would be a a good sale and, and Boyd Browning over at Pheasant Tipton has really impressed us with the catalog. Uh, has a ton of sire power, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a pretty good sale. Great. So, so I was, that was another question I was going to ask you is is being out in California and being there day in and day out. Um, do you feel that the uh, the sale itself is 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 there a good buzz about it? Do you hear a lot of chatter around the backside? Trainers excited? Do you, do you hear owners in the grandstands over the past week or two kind of ramping up and, and, and excited about getting ready to buy some horses? Do you, do you feel like the market uh, is going to continue the trend that we've seen in the, in the earlier sales? I, I, I do, actually. Uh, out here in training over the San Diego racetrack, all of the big California trainers are out of Cocker's Corner every morning, and the prospects have their saddlecloths on with their number. And I was talking to Simon Callahan and Dan Blacker this morning, and they already have their eye on a couple of horses. So getting these horses out in front of the buyers a week in advance, I think, is a nice advantage. And uh, you're starting to see that, that buzz that, that you wanted to. Uh, and, I, and I think what's happened in California has probably helped a little bit for the, a sale like this, because I think there's some California buyers that have held back on some of their purchases. And, uh, and and as I like to say, they probably have a little bit of money left to spend. And uh, now that California is, is California racing uh, has kind of come over the hump a little bit, and we're looking forward to a, a great Del Mar. Uh, I think all of that, all of those pieces are coming together just nicely for a good sale next week. Gary, you mentioned uh, the, the racetrack and the Santa Anita stuff. I think we would be remiss if we didn't. Uh, you know, as being a, a member of the board of directors for the TOC, to ask you a little bit of the behind the scenes. I'd imagine you sat in on a lot of meetings, a lot of things going on um, as a horse player, as a person who has a lot of friends who will text and ask for picks or derby time or whatever. I've never been asked so much what's going on in racing. And, and I, I struggle to answer the question uh, because unfortunately the truth of the matter is, is what's been taking place at Santa Anita. Uh, it happens everywhere. It's going to continue to happen. Unfortunately, it's happening at a rate that I think we're all uncomfortable with. But let us know a little bit from your perspective of what you've heard and, and all these things and, and, and kind of let us know, let us in on your, your optimism moving forward. Well, first of all, let's start with the surface. Uh, I, I don't think the surface has ever been safer. Um, in fact, during this time, uh, when, even when it was raining, at no point did we ever pull any of our horses off the surface. I went up to Sacramento last week to testify in front of the California Senate and Assembly with a lot of stakeholders, and uh, I sat on a panel with Bob Baffert and Mike Smith, and I, I think they both said something very, very poignant. Bob said four of the 
favorites for the Kentucky Derby all trained over the surface uh, during the time of the rains and after the rains and felt comfortable doing it. And, and Mike Smith said, I risk my life every day on that surface. And I think it's the safest surface in the country. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, and it was really tough for the legislators to ask any questions when, when you hear two things like that. Um, so it, for sure, it has been a, a difficult time out here. We've gone through a lot. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think not only California racing, but I think the rest of the industry is, is maybe better for it. Uh, there are a lot of changes that were proposed that are, that are good changes. Um, people have asked, why haven't these changes come before? And, and I say, well, uh, if you look back to the financial crisis, that's where the Frank Dodd legislation came out of. Sometimes crisis is needed for, for change to be made. And we've been in an industry that hasn't, has been not really receptive to change for, for a number of years. So it, it, it maybe needed a crisis like this to get people to turn their heads a little bit differently and think a little bit differently. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, people always say there's an inherent risk in horse racing and there's always going to be breakdowns. And I think we're starting to learn that maybe if you think a little differently, maybe there can be a situation where there aren't breakdowns. We went six weeks without a breakdown out here. Um, and so we know it can be done. And we're looking at each breakdown, not in the normal, well, these things happen, unfortunately. We're looking at it as how do we prevent it from happening? And I don't know if we could, we could ever get to zero, uh, but President Kennedy once, once said, we're going to get to the moon in nine years, and he didn't know how he was going to get there. Uh, but he ended up getting there. So uh, there's a lot of forward-thinking people out here in California, led by Belinda Stronach over at the Stronach Group. And uh, she doesn't know, we don't know whether we could ever get to zero, but we have a lot of people out here willing to try. No, I, I, I commend you guys for... Uh for, for having to deal with that from a, from a political standpoint, from a ownership standpoint, I, I, uh, I can only imagine the, uh, uphill battles that, that that's created. And I, I I'd imagine a lot of people are excited about the, the, uh, upcoming switch down to Del Mar and just a kind of a kind of hitting a reset button. Like you're playing the old Nintendo, pop the disc out, blow in it, put it back in and, and, uh, and kind of, kind of start from scratch. Uh, do you guys plan on sitting a lot down there, obviously, to, to Del Mar? Yeah, Del Mar is the crown jewel of the Southern California meet. Without it, I don't know that we would, we would Southern California would be where it is. And uh, we gear up for it every year. I think people around the country gear up for coming out here uh, or Saratoga. And uh, we, we are, we've got a ton of horses. I think we'll have between probably 40 and 50 starts down there. And uh, we are super, super excited. And yeah, I think a little, little change of pace, a little breath of fresh air, a little, a little sea breeze is probably needed uh, and, and will good for all of us out here who've been living under the, uh, the, the strain of, and, and the stress of, of, of running our, our races out of San Anita. Gary, I'm, I'm certainly bullish on our industry and, and I think the future can be very bright and certainly having someone who's who's intelligent and passionate about the sport like all of us are uh being the boots on the ground and, and being the being one of the voices uh we we all need to thank you for for that dedication um before we let you go you know anybody listening uh and anybody who who is new to the game or is looking for a partnership to get involved with and, and want to check out little red feather what's the best way uh, to get a, to get a hold of you or Billy or or anybody involved with Little Red Feather, and obviously we both have a a quite the passion for for hockey. Unfortunately, both of our teams were not very good this year, the Kings and the Sabers. But uh, who is your Stanley Cup pick before you get off? Well, first I will say thank to thank you uh, both, uh, and and really being boots on the ground uh, out here in California, there are a lot of people who were instrumental in getting to where we are. And, and I, I'd like to thank all of the horsemen and, and trainers uh, and everybody out here who's really sort of come together uh, to try to make racing better and race, racing safer. And so there's a lot of people out here in California that, that deserve a lot of credit. Uh, yeah, I, I can't believe you brought up such a sore subject like hockey. Um, I've been trying not to watch because I'm still a little sore about the, the, the Blues and the Kings both being last in the standings in January and uh, only one team stayed there, right? Uh, the Sabres had a 10-game win streak. 
I, right. There was a time during the season when Buffalo was, was one of the top teams, wasn't it? Oh, terrible. But, but uh, Boston, I, I thought, was the best team all along. I thought they had a great goalie going into the series. I thought they, they were clear favorites and probably going to win. I felt that way after game one. I felt that way for most of game two. Uh, and, then, and then something turned. And, and as you know, Sean, from, from being a hockey fan, that all it takes is uh, it's a long series and, and there's ebbs and flows. And sometimes when things go the wrong way, you don't get it back. And I, I saw that yesterday in game two. And I think St. Louis probably has the edge right now. Um, knowing St. Louis, they'll probably give it back to Boston when, when they go back home. Uh, but right now, St. Louis is looking very, very, very tough. Uh, and as for getting a hold of us, it, it, there's just two of us at Little Red Feather. It's, it's Billy and myself. And if you go to www.littleredfeather.com, you can fill out a contact us form right there. It, the email comes right right to us. And uh, we usually respond the same day. And uh, we'd be happy to talk to anybody who wants to get involved in horse partnership, answer any questions. I probably receive at least a one call or email every single day. Uh, and, uh, and, and we love it. We brought in probably 70 new partners last year. We love bringing new people into the sport. Um, and, uh, give us a call or, or send us an email. Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to join us on, on the podcast today and, and talk, uh, all things, uh, California racing and a little bit of hockey too. Uh, uh so we will definitely get you back on soon and, and uh, maybe I'll see you on a leaderboard coming up uh, in the coming weeks. I, I hope so. Thank you both. And uh, anytime. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the in the ring pedigree podcast. I know, I know, I promised you we were going to talk freshman sires, but you can just chalk that up to my maiden voyage, bad trip maiden voyage of hosting the show myself. We'll get to that hopefully next week leading up to the Belmont. If we can't get it next week, we'll catch it the week after that. It's definitely a topic that I want to jump into with Sean. I think that there's an interesting uh, connection between the horse player and the breeder in terms of evaluating these horses. I think that there might be horses that are showing up on this freshman sire list that I have negative handicapping opinions on um, and, and, and vice versa. So I think it could be a fun conversation. We'll be sure to get to that next week. Uh, I want to thank, DJ Unstable for helping today with all these uh, all these guests and whatnot. I want to thank Gary Fenton. I want to thank Price Bell. I want to thank my co-host, Sean Tugel. And I want to thank PTF for leaving us high and dry while he's enjoying wine in, in, uh, in Italy. And I think the, 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 the closeout that Pete's been doing is, uh, is a pretty good one. And we'll stick with it. And I'll try to do my best PTF impersonation here in the next five seconds. May the hammer drop your way.